Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We continue our discussion today as we look at the final night of the Lord's teaching of the apostles prior to his death. And we're going to look at a prayer of Jesus that we see in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. This is what it tells us. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept their word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom they have given me, for they are yours, and all are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As I ha- as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the gospel accounts. And to me, it appears to have been spoken out loud. And it seems to follow just naturally on the heels of what we read about in chapter 16. John 
14 and verse 31 seems to make it clear that this prayer was offered on the way to Gethsemane. But it's a wondrous passage in which Jesus solemnly dedicated himself to be offered on the cross and his disciples to give themselves as they spread the message of salvation. The prayer is mainly devoted to the disciples, that they would be faithful and united in faith and love. Verses 1-5 through five constitute a prayer for himself. Jesus began by lifting up his eyes to heaven and acknowledging that the time had come, the hour is come. The time for the fulfillment of his mission on earth, the time for him to die and be raised and return to the Father, it was upon him. It was not a failure, though. It was a triumph. It was not a humiliation. It was, in truth, a glorification. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of men by God's authority and power, was their savior as well. Eternal life was to be the reward for all who accepted God's invitation and obey his commands. That is the meaning of as many as thou hast given him. The knowledge that results in life eternal does not mean a mere acquaintance with the facts or an intellectual acceptance of them, but a complete direction and devotion of life in harmony with the will of God and an intimate fellowship with Jesus. From the very beginning, Jesus has been uh, saying a phrase that is, uh, that my hour has not yet come. But now he's saying that the hour has come. The time, the hour hour of his glorification has come. And you know that he says that he has finished the work on earth that God had given him to do. But uh, it's important to note that the, the work of Jesus was not completed. Only the work on earth was completed. When he has ascended to the Father, he began a, an entirely new kind of work. And you know, the, the book of Acts begins in verse 1 of chapter 1 by saying, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So uh, this is this is beginning. This is just the beginning of what Jesus has begun to do, uh, and now we know that He is working in heaven as uh, as our mediator and intercessor. That He ever lives to make intercession for us. Another thing that I would point out uh, pertains to the glory that He was praying for. This was not a self-serving kind of glory where he just really, really misses. He really misses what he had with the Father. And he just wants that uh, to enjoy that again. Because he was praying for the glory that comes by dying on a cross for us. As the Hebrew writer says in chapter 2, verse 9, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So our Savior, Jesus, when he died on the cross and was raised, was crowned with glory, but he did it not for himself, but that he might taste death for everyone. Verse 3, I think, when we talk about what is eternal life, what Jesus would tell us, and this is eternal life, they may 
that they may know you, talking of the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The eternal life is that relationship, having the relationship with the one true God and knowing him, not just knowing him from the standpoint of I have a you know an idea of what the story the, the stories in the Bible um, tell us and, and things like that or I I know that there is a God or whatever the case may be but to truly know him know the relationship that you have with him a close relationship of longing to talk to him longing to read from his word and constantly wanting to be in conversation and in um, a constant relationship with him. Now let's look at, uh, think about the prayer specifically for the disciples, the ones that had been given him by the Father. He says, I have kept them, uh, I have preserved them by your word. It says, right now, I'm not even praying specifically for the world. Verse 9, I'm praying specifically for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. You compare that to verse 2, which says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given me. So Jesus looks at these disciples uh, as those who have been given to him by the Father. And I think it's interesting to think about these spe- the special group of men gifted by the Father for the work of Jesus. Uh, and it, there is one, of course, that, uh, that was not kept. Uh, I think this speaks to the free will of man, that Judas, as we know, the son of perdition, he, uh, he did not remain. Uh, he chose to betray the Lord. Jesus invited him to do it, do it quickly and get it over with. Uh, but, uh, but, but for the rest of them, he says, I have kept them in your name, those whom you have given me. And the only exception to that was this son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of course, you know, the scripture fulfilled the betrayal of Jesus uh, through the prophecy of, uh, of the betrayal of Ahithophel, the counselor of David, and David writes in the Psalms about how bitter that experience was. I mean, even though Jesus is going to be returning back to the heaven or back to the Father and back to heaven, the the strong characters that you were talking about still of his disciples. That it's not that he's going away to heaven and that that's all. That he's he's done all there is to do. There he's still active, still, um, and that that pertains even to now. That he still has a strong care for those that are following him. And what a blessing that that is. This is something, it, it, this word is living word. It, it continues to be guiding us to him and continues to be working. And Jesus is continuing to be um, working with, with us all now. We're, we're two or three gather um, together. I'm, I'm in their midst. He, I mean, he's around. And what a blessing that that is that he is in our lives and that he cares for us um, just just enough to die for us, let alone the fact that he still cares about us deeply, um, even through the different mistakes and things that we continue that may continue to make. Verses 13 and 14, I think, provide a rather interesting contrast. This was a prayer that the joy of the Lord, the joy of self-sacrifice and victory, 
would abide with them. It connects very well with John chapter 15 and verse 11 and John chapter 16 and verse 24. But having received the Father's word, the disciples were then experiencing and would soon, to a much greater degree, experience the hatred of the world. This was and is the inevitable result. The world demands conformity to its views and its lifestyle. Well, here was the problem that Jesus prayed for in verses 15 through 17. How far could Christians join in with life in the world and not be contaminated by it? The Jewish element on one side and the heathen element on the other side encompassed the early church. In truth, the Christian would have to leave the world altogether, physically remove himself to avoid any association with wicked people. But wicked people need to hear the gospel, so that cannot be. Nevertheless, the followers of Jesus must keep himself pure even in the midst of the world. In faith, purpose, conduct, and in the whole manner of life, the disciples of Jesus were not of the world just as Jesus was not of the world. Christians are set apart, sanctified, dedicated to the service of the Lord, and must not be defiled by common or profane usage. This sanctification is is accomplished through the word, which is truth. Jesus is, in a very real sense, the embodiment of the word of God. You know, verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. The point is not that Jesus does not want to be with his disciples in heaven. I mean, from a human perspective, we often, you know, we comfort others uh, when they've lost loved ones. They won't be great when we're all in heaven. I could see, I I could see God uh, thinking, I just want all my people in heaven, but there is something even more powerful uh, that uh, that motivates his desire to allow us to remain, and that is uh, that we might save others. God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. So the only reason why God would not want his disciples to be taken out of this world is because we have work to do. Ultimately, the goal is in verse 24. Father, I desire that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am. So God does look forward to that point where we can all be with him in heaven. But for the time being, we have work to do. Of verse 19, he he has sanctified himself so that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Him being set apart um, has allowed us to be set apart in the truth. This is all Jesus Christ. It's all God and what he has done for us. And something to, to never be forgotten and just was being talked about. It, it's going to change our behavior and how we act that we are set apart in the truth. How we act. Are we in the truth and looking to live it out? Living in his word. And not just from the standpoint of we, we know it, which is absolutely essential and important, but am I living it out in every situation that I am faced with. And Jesus sanctified himself on on our behalf, and what a blessing that that is. Let's go ahead and continue the discussion, looking at verses 20 on down through verse 26. Ross, would you mind reading that? 
I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. You know, really, verses 20 through 26 seem to be a prayer within a prayer in that he is praying uh, specifically for the church. When Jesus entered the word in verse 20, or mentioned rather the word in verse 20, he had reference to the preaching of the gospel from Pentecost on through all the years. Jesus prayed that all who would believe in him through the preaching of the gospel would be united, and then that unity would lead the world to believe. That unity of believers is illustrated by the unity of Jesus and the Father. Notice the world has entered into the prayer of the Lord. I believe that the glory to which Jesus referred in verse 22 was the glory Jesus manifested in the flesh, in dying for our sins and being raised to give us the assurance of life. Indeed, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the basis of of the unity of believers. And then finally, Jesus prayed for his own that they might be united together in his presence in eternity and there behold his glory, this being the glory that Jesus had before the foundation of the world, which he had left to come to this earth. They would see the ultimate and final vindication of their choice and of all their labors and all their suffering. Jesus closed his prayer with reference once again to the apostles. They had been through so much together, and it was probable that even now, as they made their way to Gethsemane, another group was also on their way to Gethsemane for a decidedly different purpose. I want to reemphasize words that Jesus had previously spoke, which pertain to Jesus' disciple uh, desire that the world would believe uh, that God had sent Christ and that we are his people. And that is John 13, verse 35, that says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This was the new commandment that he had given them. So Jesus' desire here that the world might believe that we are his disciples has already been taught on. And Jesus said that one of the primary ways that, that the world will be convicted of that is when they observe the love that we have, not just for our friends and not just for our brethren, but for all the whole world. 
I think it's really neat the way we are included in this prayer. When Jesus said in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, being the apostles that were there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And in the Great Commission, what were the apostles told to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that has continued on. They went out and taught. The people that they taught went out and taught. And so on and so on and so on. All the way up to us. Jesus is including even us in this prayer. I love verse 26 to the aspect of um, that he's made made your name known to them and will make it known. That there's the, the, a lot of work that has been done, but there's still things that need to be done. There's still um, Jesus' focus is still on the the rest and, and what's going to going to uh, happen throughout the rest of the the gospel accounts that we're going to see and I just just focused on what needs to be done and doing the father's will. I think that's going to have to do it as far as this program is concerned. We appreciate so much each and every one of you who has listened and please tell your friends about that you may grow thereby as we continue on our study of the life of Christ. Until next time then, thanks for listening.